It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. This is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. Back in the lab, Reggie and Luke back at it. Another episode of Superior Sports Talk presented by Locked On Sports Minnesota. What's going on today, Reggie? What's up, Luke, man? Look, another day. Time to talk some of those good Minnesota sports, brother. Uh, We're going to talk Vikings today. Who's best fit to win the special teams battles heading into the (laughs) season? Twins win their fifth in a row versus the Tigers in walkout fashion. Plus, I'm putting Reggie on the hot seat with what does it mean? It's all coming up on Superior Sports Talk. But first, if you enjoy Superior Sports Talk, you'll also enjoy our other daily show with former NFL receiver Ron Johnson. Ron offers the unique view of an athlete-turned-broadcaster and brings you high-profile guests like Braylon Edwards, Adam Thielen, and Robert Smith. Subscribe to Lockdown Sports Minnesota YouTube channel or your favorite podcast feeds so you never miss an episode. All right, Reggie, well, I don't know if you caught it, but ESPN's latest article on special teams units in the NFL noted the alarming rate of injuries that have increased over the past two seasons by 50%. Special teams plays accounted for 30% of ACL tears and 29% of muscle injuries, even though they represent only 17% of plays in a typical NFL game. I know some coaches in the article were quoted like Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh, quick to point out the injury surge could be a, a temporary trend attributed to you know unique roster management during that COVID-19 pandemic and that just because of the injury spike there isn't necessarily anything specific that could be or should be changed to the format the style or even the rules to place on special teams I guess Reggie does it concern you when you see the spike in these types of numbers related to injuries on special teams and if so what can be done so I know there's been a lot of talk about like just getting rid of the kickoff altogether and like giving the team the ball on the 20 or the 25. And we've seen that the NFL has made adjustments to kind of make the, the kick return a little bit more difficult. You know, they're kicking off from a different spot, you know, um, incentivizing guys to, you know, they can wave a fair catch or they could, you know, just take a knee in the end zone and get the ball at the 25 and, it's weird, man, because I feel like the games that I watch, guys that that 
bring the ball out, you know, it was always like, okay, if they get past the 20, they they did something good. But now, That's you know, with it being yep. the 25, like there have been times where I've watched games and guys have taken calculated risks to bring the ball out. And then all of a sudden they're getting tackled at the 18, at the 17, the 16, and you're just like, dang, now you're just putting the offense in a bad spot, you know, having to to drive almost the length of the field to score. And I think what's tough about kick returns is just the nature of them, you know, kind of cause injuries in the first place. Like they're basically having car crashes every single kickoff. You got guys running this way full speed and guys running the other way full speed. And that's just, you know, calls for a collision right there. Like, you guys are just going to be running into each other at a high speed, and that is never, ever good. And so, you know, it's really cool when someone takes a kickoff return back for a touchdown. Like, we love, like, special teams touchdowns. You know, the couple times that Kane scored touchdowns for the Vikings this year, they were very exciting plays. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I I just – I think that they are almost doing more harm than good sometimes. And it's just tough to really justify seeing kickoffs and kickoff returns with how easily these players are getting injured by this because of the very nature of just what these plays are. Like they, they're more susceptible to injuries, but you look at a lot of these guys, you know, back end of the roster guys, they stick them out there on special teams. And, you know, if they did do away with kickoff returns, um, and I think it would be kind of tough for some of the players, you know, because a lot of times kickoff return and special teams and all that are ways that players can get on the field, you know, if they aren't able to get on on defense or get on on offense. So doing away with it all together May not be the best idea, but sometimes somehow you have to kind of curtail these injuries, and that may be a way to do it by just kind of doing away with kickoff and kickoff returns altogether. Yeah, well, I mean, people tune in because it's such an exciting play. The potential of what could happen on every kick or punt return is why people tune in. But you mentioned a car crash. It's not just one car crash. It's 11. Several. I mean, you got 11 yeah. guys running full speed, going head-to-head, monster mm-hmm. running four four forties at 260 pounds. It's a mm-hmm. recipe for disaster. And, yeah, it's probably easy to note that the lost season in 2019 due to COVID brought players back out of shape and not in top conditioning form, which in turn had a lot to do with the spike in injuries, especially that first season back. But at the very least, it's concerning and something the league is going to have to keep a close watch on for sure because if it happens now for a third season in a row then there's some serious truth to the trends no doubt speaking of special Mm -hmm. teams the vikings have a ton of new faces in their special teams rooms as we stand here today dd westbrook he's gone now he was the vikings top return man last year with 22 punt returns and his backup kj osborne he's now supplanted in that wide receiver three role which tells me Mm -hmm. they'll be much more cautious about throwing him back there in 20 2022 hence the injuries so that's your top punt returners from 2021 leaving the door wide open for the starting punt return position heading into training camp through a whirlwind offseason here which name has caught your eye and and who you're starting to maybe pencil in for the starting job right now 
Man, I put Kane back there on both of them. Why no not? Doubt. Like, mm-hmm. just put him back there on both of them. Like, if, if he's already doing kick returns, you know, and, and he's so dynamic with his speed and all that stuff, just imagine, like, him, like, reversing uh, field or, you know, making a guy miss and putting his foot in the ground and just hitting it up the up the seam. Um, I I think that they should just put him back there for both of them because, like, you know, he's already shown what he could do dynamic as a kick returner and just see what maybe he can do as a punt returner. I know it's, it's tough with those punt returns because, you know, catching the ball is not necessarily the easiest on those. Um, I look at a guy like, you know, growing up I was a Rams fan, Oz Hakeem. That dude was electric as a punt returner. But he could also cost the team some games sometimes because he was known as a fumbler. <laughs> and sometimes he dropped those punts and, and gave the team, the other team, you know, field position to take advantage. And so, you know, I know it's tough to do that. Um, I know they, they drafted uh, Jalen Naylor, you know, as a, as a guy to come in and, and contribute. You know, they like what he can do. And, you know, with all those receivers and and the, the offense being dynamic as it is, maybe a good way to get him some experience is maybe put him on a punt return. Maybe he's a, he's an intriguing option. We already know he can catch. He's a receiver. And he has a lot of speed as well. He did some pretty great things at Michigan State. And so maybe that's a, a name that you think about throwing back there. Just, you know, as a rookie, that's a pretty big assignment. But, you know, if he wants to get on the field and make an impact right away, that may be his chance to do it. Yeah, we head into the offseason with what I thought was maybe the best one, two, three punch as far as top to bottom depth goes at running mm-hmm. back after seeing what Kenny Nwangu did on special teams specifically last year, plus Madison and Dalvin Cook. I think you're right. I think you start out just by flinging him out there at both kick return and punt return. But after mm-hmm. that, uh, I mean, there's about a handful of guys that are probably going to get a fair crack at this thing. Smith, Marset, Dan Chisner ran a 4-3-2. He was brought on to be a special teams ace. Ty Chandler was brought on, another running back that tells me they got plans again for somebody in that running back room to play special teams and a lot of it. And then you just mentioned Naylor as well. So let them battle it out, see who ends up on top. No debating, though, this punt return job is one of the few position battles that is wide open for the Vikings. Kick return, again, feels a lot simpler after, again, Kenny Nwongo went off last year, scoring not one but two kick returns for touchdowns last year, one against the Ravens, one against the Niners. His backup, though, at kick return, if he were to ever go down with one of those injuries we just mentioned, that's a lot mm-hmm. tougher because Amir Abdullah and Wayne Gailman are gone. They were the two primary backups in the rotation last year. I think you probably go back to, again, Ty Chandler, Jalen Naylor, or Smith Marset there. We're already sitting in the special teams room, so we got to just quick talk about kicker. I know, <laughs> way too early, Reggie, but... Greg Joseph was solid, 33 for 38. Vikings fans will remind you he had a solid few games there and a few not-so-great games. He did miss four extra points going 36 of 40 there, hence why they brought in Gabe Burkich from Oklahoma. Dude didn't miss a kick in 2018. Had a monster Mm. leg, making three field goals of 50-plus in one game versus Tulane last year. He was also flawless on extra points, which could help him edge out Greg Joseph, the vet, for the starting kicker spot. I know. Way too early, Reggie, but what's your gut say when it comes to the Vikings kicking battle as we sit here today? You know, I think they they keep, 
you know, the the young guy around, you know, mm-hmm. just to give Greg Joseph a little bit of competition. Everybody deserves a little bit of competition. You know, it's a new coaching staff. They don't know you from Adam, you know. And so right. they need to see, you know, you compete a little bit, see you at your best. And look, Greg Joseph, say what you want about the guy, but he is a good kicker. Mm-hmm. It's just unfortunate that the misses that he's had have kind of cost the Vikings a little bit. And, you know, I guess maybe that is your argument to why maybe he does need to have some competition or why he does maybe need to move on from the Vikings. I don't know. Maybe you're being a little bit irrational. The last time, you know, we were super irrational about a kicker. Well, maybe not we, but Mike Zimmer. The last time that happened, he let a kicker go that is now considered one of the best in all of football now. And so, you know, that's tough. It's like, dang, man, if you would have just had a little bit more patience, maybe, you know, you'd be okay and this kicker situation wouldn't have been a situation. Um, It it was just tough, man. I remember sitting in, you know, my uh, lovely place here when I got here to Minnesota. I had just gotten here, and it was my first day at CARE the next day when they played the Arizona Cardinals. And I was sitting there watching. I was like, man, they're – they're battling. They're doing work against these dudes, man. Wow, looking good. Going to be exciting covering this team. And that kick happened, and I was just like, oh, no. Did that really just happen? Oh, no. Mm. And then, you know. Welcome uh, to Minnesota, Reggie. I know. And then a few <laughs> games later, you know, Joseph, you know, has a, a another inexplicable miss. But then, you know, against the um, – who was that? The Lions – he yep. made the kick to send them yep. home after it looked like maybe the the Vikings were about to to mess that whole thing up, and and he was the hero. So like he's made big kicks, but he's also missed big kicks. But I mean, you look at it like you said, thirty three of thirty eight from. I mean, you only missed five. Like that's a pretty good percentage. You you do scoff at the thirty six out of forty extra points, but you know he's just like man. Look, the dude is only missed. In his career, eight field goals, like through 33 games, like that's not bad. That's not bad. But when you are missing field goals at the the most inopportune times, then that's when you have a problem. But I think it was funny talking uh, to some of my teammates last year about Greg Joseph because it was like 50 and over, he's nails. He's nails. Put him in the game. Let him get it. 53, 54, 55, like – He's nails. But anything under 50, you're like, like, what's going on? I don't, I don't understand dice. here. Right. What's, yeah. what's the deal? It seemed that this would be an easier kick, but but I don't know here. So I think the competition is is good, and but I think ultimately he'll probably win out in this battle. If you remember in that Cardinals game, by the way, Reggie, Vikings had the ball down at about the 25 with like 40 seconds left. And instead of trying to just be aggressive and get every yard they could, they kneeled the ball twice with that offense, Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, Jefferson. They they kneeled the ball twice. And that goes back to what Eric Kendrick said at the end of the season. You can't have a fear-based organization. I'll just Mm -hmm. never forget that. Why not get every single yard you can? Yeah, he should make a 38-yarder. No doubt he should. Yeah. But why not set your players up for success? 
and try to get every yard you could, especially with that. Well, kind it's of just like a chip shot. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Fans will be quick to tell you, Reggie Vikings have a long history with kicking issues. So this job will be mm-hmm. on close watch throughout training camp. Rest assured. All right. Coming up, we're talking twins as they win their fifth straight. And later on, put Reggie on the hot seat with what does it mean? But first, do you want instant postgame reaction from insiders that cover your favorite teams? Check out our Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Following every Twins, Vikings, Wild, or Wolves game, our Locked On team hosts are broadcasting live with team insiders like Kevin Gorg for the Wild and Brandon Warren for the Twins. Never miss a podcast by subscribing to Locked On Sports Minnesota YouTube channel. Okay, Reggie, well, let's talk about those twins, shall we? Max Kepler gets the team off to a hot start with a grand mm-hmm. slam bomb shot in the first. They go up 4 nothing real quick. Got quiet after that, though. Tigers chipped away, battled back, grinded their way, eventually tied it up. Then in the ninth, all tied up at four apiece. Gio Urshela knocked in the game-winning run. Chris yeah. Archer only allows one run. He only goes four innings, though. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But the Twins win their fifth in a row and now have won 24 of their last 31 games versus Detroit at Target Field. Not bad. Not bad. Reggie, they only had two good innings, really, when you look back at this one. It just happened Mm -hmm. to be the first and the last. Everything in between, (laughs) pretty average at best. Some might say Twins probably shouldn't have won this one, but they do. And that's been the theme and and just the vibe this year for this team. Your quick takeaways on last night's 5-4 victory. Well, it was interesting because we caught up with Rocco earlier before the game and he was talking about how this team just has a penchant for winning games all kinds of ways, whether, you know, they're playing small ball, you know, no home runs, they're they're going to, you know, have a pitcher's duel or, you know, anything like that. They seem to be winning games in a myriad of ways. And last night was a good example of that. I think they did what they had to do to win that game. And it was weird because, like, I was watching the game, right? And, you know, they hit the grand slam in the first inning. And then I started watching the Tigers at bats, and I was like, dang, man, they are really putting the wood on the ball. Like, they were really making good contact against the Mm -hmm. Twins pitching. And I was just like, okay, this is a little concerning. And then – all of a sudden, you start seeing the runs getting scored. And, you know, it's one, two, three. Oh, man, now we're tied at four. And now it looks like the Tigers, you know, kind of have the momentum and kind of have the advantage. And it was great for the pitching staff to kind of settle down, settle in, and get that game to the ninth. And we were just like, come on, y'all, let's not do this. Come on. And then, you know, they come out in the ninth and they're aggressive against that dude that is like a throwback to like Goose Gossage or whatever. Yeah. Pitcher that was in. It yeah. was just like, yeah. who is this dude? Where did, that, where did they get him from? from? He's a like, paid actor. That's not I know. I'm like, who is this dude? Like a flashback to like the 1930s or whatever. Like, where did they get this guy from? So, you know, they come out and, and Kepler takes advantage of him early. Mm-hmm. And then he gets all the way to third. And I'm just like, look, man, there's no outs. Then, you know, the the pop out on the, the third baseline, and you're just like, oh, man, come on. They just got to get Kepler home from third, man. Mm-hmm. And then one of my coworkers comes into the sports office, and he's talking about, uh-oh, he's about to, he's about to mower it. And we're like, what do you mean? 
double he's going to ground out into the double play. I'm like, no, please don't put that out into the atmosphere because we're just hoping, you know, we're we're waiting to go on air at this point, and we're hoping mm. that we're not going to extra innings because we're just right. like, look, that's not good for anybody. Right. And I'm like, come on, come on, don't do this. And then Urshela comes up, and he hits this ground ball. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did he just jinx this go. thing? And it goes to Javi, and I'm like, okay, well – you know, it's probably not going to be a double play ball. You know, at first I'm like, okay, get through. You know, get through. Like, get through the the middle of the infield. And then Baez does a good job to stop it. But I think that ball was just kind of hit a little bit too hard for him to handle it. And they were and, playing in, too. Yeah. Of course, they had to, you know, play in, too, which I think yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. And so Urshela becomes the hero. And you know Kepler scores easily from third, and and we're we're sending all the fans home happy. So you know you can't be mad at five straight, but it's just like Rocco was like, he was he was all knowing. He was uh, he was doing a bit of of, of forecasting, if mm-hmm. you will, because he was talking about how they win games, you know, kind of crazy, and that's exactly what they did. They won a game that was a little unorthodox and they got it done. And I was talking on that in my sports cast last night. I was like, what does that mean? Usually that means you're a pretty good baseball team. But, you know, other people will, will say on the other side of that, well, they were only playing the Tigers. So it's just like, look, that's good practice for when they do play the teams that are a little bit better, you know, that they have some confidence knowing that they can win these games all kinds of ways. And confidence goes a long way. Yeah, good teams find a way scratch and claw and win baseball games uh mm-hmm. everybody wins 60 everybody loses 60 but that 42 games in between there what you're known for and i think again the twins are just finding ways like you said you mentioned rocco we touched on it yesterday but in case you missed it i want to do a quick deep dive on rocco decision to pull his starters so early in these games even when they're pitching well like last night archer only allows one run but gets pulled in the fourth Reggie Archer hasn't gone past the fourth inning in any of his eight starts this season. Any cause for concern, or do you think Rocco is just being overly cautious with his starters this year, who have been, on average, getting pulled you know, around the fourth or fifth inning with about 80 pitches thrown? I mean, I'm used to seeing guys go out there throw 100-plus. Not the case this season thus far. Yeah, if if Rocco is anything, he's consistent, man. Like yeah, he, is. he is he's doing the same thing with all of his guys, so it's like, well, it's not just an Archer thing. And you know, maybe he is being a little bit more cautious with Archer with his injury history and he wants Archer to stay healthy and stay, you know, available for the long term because you know, he looks at his pitching options and it's, you know, the cupboard is a little bit bare when it comes to finding starters that can kind of go longer into games. But then the argument on the flip side is like, well, I mean, he's not letting these starters go deep into games anyway. So what's the point? Um, It's just so interesting because Archer's still looking for his first win as a twin. And I can't imagine how frustrating he must be, you know. And it's funny because knowing what we know last night, you know, maybe he still doesn't get the decision. You know, I don't know if those, you know, runs are -hmm. given up. You know, if he stays in the game, but it's just been a very, very weird start to his twins tenure. And and Rocco, I wonder if he's messing with any of these guys like rhythm by not 
you know, letting them kind of stay in there, stick it out and, and do battle. I know Sonny Gray is one of those guys that he's just like, no, keep me in. Like, Rind let me out, pitch sure. my way out of, you know, any type of jams that I get in and, you know, all of that. And it's, it's tough because it's like when a pitcher is kind of like hitting that adversity, you know, you're you're kind of pulling them before they really get a chance to get their way out of it. And maybe that's not necessarily a recipe for success as thing, you know, as times go on. I look at a pitcher like Wayno in St. Louis, Adam Wainwright. You know, there have been games where he's just gotten rocked. And you're looking at it and he's giving up five runs and then the sixth and seventh inning, he's still out there battling. And it's just like, you know, the the competitors, they want to still have the ball and still go at these guys. It does something for their confidence, and maybe the next game they come out and they're lights out. And I've seen that from Wayno. And I think maybe, you know, if you give these guys a little bit more of a chance, whether or not they're getting rocked or not, you know, it does well for their confidence. You know, to, you know they're figuring out some things on the fly. And if you're not facing live batters, you know, you're not able to tinker and adjust the way that you could if you're just throwing live BP or, or you know, you know, throwing throwing sessions on the side. You got to face some real competition and see what works and what doesn't. And Rocco's really not giving them a chance to do that as often. You know, he's not in that Max Scherzer discussion, but let's uh, eight quality starts. I mean, up and down, sure, a little bit, but. For him not to have his first win yet of the season, you're right, is just absolutely wild when you look back and see all the quality starts he's given the Twins so far. Again, though, Rocco just being a little bit overly cautious, not just with Archer, but the entire starting uh, rotation. Twins take the field again tonight, looking for their sixth win in a row in game two of a three-game series with the Tigers. First pitch, 6.40 p.m. Central Standard Time. Sonny Gray on the mound looking for his second win in back-to-back starts. All right, the time has come. My favorite segment is here. I'm putting Reggie on the hot seat with What Does It Mean? Covering all the latest hot topics in Minnesota sports. Reggie, you ready to roll? Let's do it. First one up, ESPN said, when it comes to quarterback Mac Jones, the changes the Patriots have made concern him, referring to bringing back Matt Patricia and Joe Judge and changing the offensive identity around him in his sophomore season. What does it mean when it comes to being concerned about Kirk Cousins' new coaching staff and offensive scheme for a quarterback who has been one of the most efficient passers in the league the last few seasons? I mean, when you just look at Kirk Cousins, everybody assumes he's going to be this veteran, cool, calm in the pocket, and he's going to be top five, top ten in a lot of these passing categories, as he has been the last few years. What aren't we thinking about here? What could go wrong here? What concerns you that maybe fans are, aren't maybe thinking about right now going into this new offensive scheme? Well, I put Mac Jones and Kirk Cousins in two totally separate categories. Oh, we know yep. we know yep. that a quarterback in his sophomore season, oh. it's good to have him stay and stick with an offense and stick with you know the what what's gotten him to that point because you know making so many changes to I look at a guy like Sam Bradford the dude had uh new offensive coordinators every year in the league like his first like four to five seasons with the Rams like it was kind of crazy just seeing like he went from you know Pat Shermer to Josh McDaniels to whoever else just like Signetti or something you know like all these other guys that that it was just like, okay, what offense can I learn? Like making an adjustment to the NFL is is hard enough as it is, and especially without any continuity. Like, let the guy like 
develop with some guy. I really don't know what Bill Belichick is doing with that offensive situation, but you know, he's the best, he's the GOAT, all that good stuff. So you just trust that, you know, he knows what he's doing. But I mean, give Max some continuity so he can excel in, in year two. You know, on the other side, I don't think that Kirk Cousins is going to have a problem at all adjusting to Kevin O'Connell's system. He's a pretty astute quarterback. He's a student of the game. I think he will kind of ingest this system uh, that O'Connell is throwing at him. And by like midseason, they're going to be cooking with gas like all the way, like burner all the way on high. Those flames just rolling like you see on those barbecue commercials, like and they're going to be cooking defenses up and, and, you know, serving them up on a platter. I think it's interesting to see, like, the only thing that I guess I get concerned about is I'm sure, and I know, you know, especially conversations that I've had with Kevin O'Connell since he's been here, he's going to challenge Kirk Cousins to be more aggressive. And I know sometimes uh, Mike Zimmer kind of kept it conservative for Kirk, and I think Kirk prefers to be a little bit more conservative, but I think this coaching staff is going to challenge him to be a little bit more aggressive out there and take some chances, take some risks, and I know that it's probably going to come at the expense of Kirk Cousins' numbers, and we know Kirk likes to make his numbers, hmm. but I think that's going to be the the challenge there is to – challenge Kirk to be more aggressive and see how he responds. Does he respond with throwing more interceptions? Does he respond with throwing more touchdowns and more yards? I think that's the that's the question mark there, but I'm excited to see them actually challenge him and them kind of allow him to, to reach his quarterback ceiling, his quarterback potential, because they are paying him a lot of money to be QB1. A lot of good points there. I'm not too worried or concerned as well when it comes to adjusting and digesting this new offensive playbook, the scheme, the verbiage. He's a pro's pro, man. I mean, he's a, a what, 10-year vet in the league. He knows what it's going to take and understand how to get familiar and comfortable and get on the same page with his wide receivers, his tight mm-hmm. ends, his offensive line. If anything, it is the offensive line that I'm most concerned about because he's a pure pocket passer. So mm-hmm. many guys have the ability to scramble and create plays outside of the pocket. That's mm-hmm. just not Kirk Cousins. He's a pure pocket guy. And when your interior of your offensive line gets pushed back a lot, right? I mean, when they struggle against those nose tackles and three techs, Kirk Cousins, as we've seen, is in for a long day. So who wins that starting right guard spot? How much can Garrett Bradbury develop or take a next step in his development here? Those are going to be critical for Kirk Cousins. As far as the playbook goes, the new offensive scheme, the coaching, I think all that does is just help Kirk Cousins start to hit the reset button and not be so conservative, be a little bit more aggressive, taking some shots deep downfield in tighter coverage. But coaching can only get you so far, Reggie. You still have to have the talent and the players mm-hmm. in that right guard spot, that center spot. Uh, Those are the things that I'm probably most concerned about when it comes to Kirk Cousins right now. All right, next one up. What does it mean? Luis Arise got on base four times last night. He's batting 349, Reggie, fourth best in the bigs right now. What does it mean for the Twins' offense when you can get a guy like Arise up to the plate four or five times every night? I mean, this guy's just quietly, as Buxton and Correa get the spotlight and all the media love, he's been quietly one of the best players in the Twins' offense. Oh, yeah. It means that good things are in store for the Twins offense when arises at bat. I mean, this guy's just he's playing first base last night. Like Mm. the dude is just like a guy. He's like a Swiss Army knife. He's the dude that 
you just put in and, you know, you find a way to get that bat into the lineup. You don't know maybe on a night in and night out basis where you're going to play him on defense, but you're just like, you know what? It's fine. We'll figure it out. We just got to get that bat in there. And he's one of the the most consistent bats for this Twins lineup. I was looking at a guy like Buxton. He went like 0 for 4, 0 for 5 last night. Like, it, it's just kind of crazy. You know, I, th- I feel like he's kind of hit a little bit of a snag here, which, you know, all players do over the course of a baseball season. Sometimes, you know, all this rest and low management that he's undergoing – you know, doesn't necessarily spell well for a player's rhythm and momentum. Mm -hmm. You know, he missed a play in outfield yesterday that you always expect him to make. He just kind of misplayed the ball and then ended up running into the wall too. But it's just interesting that even when you got your your main guys like Buxton and Correa and Sanchez and those guys like not – hitting or producing at the level that you're expecting that you could just throw Luis rise out there and just allow him to do his thing. And he's going to be a little bit of a spark plug, be a jolt for that lineup. And that's a luxury. I can't remember a better one, two, three starting lineup for the twins than Buxton, Luis rise. And now Carlos Correa in a long time, man. And just wait, like you said, just wait till Buxton starts to heat back up here. This twins offense is going to be really fun to watch. Reggie, you survived the gauntlet once again. We're back here tomorrow breaking down more Twins, Vikings, NBA and NHL playoffs, and plenty more. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and join us every day for another episode covering all the biggest topics in Minnesota sports. He's Reggie Wilson. Follow him on Twitter, at TV and on CARE 11 every night. I'm Luke Inman on Twitter, at Luke underscore Spinman. Tune in tomorrow to Superior Sports Talk, part of Lockdown Sports Minnesota. He's Reggie. I'm Luke. Until tomorrow, signing out. Be blessed. Spread love today. This is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.